This is Tony Warner, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Focus podcast. My name is Max, and I've got everyone's best friend with me to preview Derby on Friday and also chat about our Belgian crossbar bouncer, Dennis Adoy, in our latest player in focus feature. Who is the co host? I hear you cry. Well, let me narrow it down for you. He's a buffoon. You've got a name in mind, haven't you? Well, you're wrong. It's not Baldo. This man is a buffoon because he lost his wallet today. And as we all know, Baldwin's wallet has never, ever left his pocket. It's J Mac, ladies and gents. What happened, mate? Hello. Yeah, I just, um, I, would, I don't know, I was just in Tesco Metro at one point, and then the next point I'm back home and my wallet's not there. I call up Tesco Metro and they weren't very helpful, so I guess it doesn't matter. Podcast yeah. Gold, though, otherwise. Exactly. What, what a story. What a story. Welcome to, welcome to my life. <laughs> Let's talk about Dennis Adoy. Fulham. All right, mate, well, let's start with Dennis Adoy's debut at home to Newcastle. Friday evening in the summer, first game of the season. We did win the game 1-0. It was the opening game of the 16-17 season. Um, but the big point wasn't so much the, the victory, but more Dennis Adoy's back trick. It's the first time we'd ever seen him. What happened? I mean, I'm so glad, just for the record, that we're talking about Dennis Adoy. But this is the first time we've ever... I've, I've never actually seen a trick done like this live at a football game I felt very honored to see it. I think everyone did when you actually watch the clip of the bat trick you just see everyone behind him in the Johnny Haynes stand just absolutely going ballistic at what they've just seen um it, it, it's a pass from Maddle um in the you know fr- from the middle of the pitch to him just on, on the almost as a winger and he just controls it and goes past Dummett I think it's pronounced Dummett which is the you know one of the Newcastle fullbacks and just makes him look like an absolute buffoon himself it, it's it's one of the best things I've ever seen and I think that was his first ever game for for them because we signed him July just a few months before that it was it was wicked what a way to an actual arrival it was quality um in our promotion season in 2017-18 he quickly switched from a fullback which is where he'd been playing uh most most of the time before uh to play center half to cover when Thomas Callis was injured and when Thomas Callis came back from injury he didn't get back in the team Dennis Adoy was playing so well in that center half position all right he made a couple of mistakes granted but it proved that a great utility player is, is such an important part to a team. Yeah. What, what do you remember about the second half of that season? But, you know, it was our, obviously our 23-game unbeaten run. But Dennis in particular, he, he came into his own at centre-half, I think. He really did. And the fascinating thing about Dennis is, is that, you know, he's, he's five foot ten, which is the same height as me. Um, and maybe I'm just in denial, but I don't think that's actually that 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 short. <laughs> but he can, I mean, he can jump like nothing else. And he talks about this in an interview of um, the BBC in an article they did. And he is just, he's just one of those creepers that just comes up and just is able to leap out of nowhere. And I thought he was great. And the, the really important thing I find about his role as centre-back in that season was he, he learned a lot from Slavisa in, in that half of the season about bravery um, and about taking risks. And... One of the most amazing things about Dennis Adoy is that he just is an absolute transformer for this squad. He can play it right back, left back, centre back. He he's such an asset to the club, and I just think it was the right decision for him to replace Callas because that's we never lost form once that happened. I seem to remember before the promotion season, he almost went back to Belgium, and he was really close to leaving after that first season. And I, I don't know what held that deal up, but he ended up staying and. Had, had he left, you know, it could have been, well, that, that season would have been very different because he ended up being a real, you know, a headline maker that season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, when he when he left, I mean, when he nearly left, I wonder if it was the Premier League that had something to do with him staying, uh, the, the idea of being in the Premier League. Because another thing he mentioned in this interview is that he was told a lot by his sort of PE teacher growing up that he'll never be a professional footballer. Um, and I think he really wanted to to prove himself and, and prove to a lot of people that he deserves to be where he ended up, which is the Premier League. Yeah, just um, I'm so glad we held on to him because even though it was a shocker of a season, he did 
performed some wonderful things for us, actually. Some very Dennis Oidinio moments, which were terrific. <laughs> Are you talking about the season in the Premier League? Well, you know what? Funnily enough, there was that game against Huddersfield, the one that we narrowly just won at the cottage. And there was this moment where he, he tends to do this, Dennis. You were going to ask me later on about what my favourite moment is. And I, I, I'll tell you, but... Th- my favourite moments are when Dennis Adoy suddenly gets the ball from the right-hand side of a right-back position, for instance, and instead of going down, it goes through the middle and then just has this moment looking like Lionel Messi where the ball just doesn't leave him. And he's done it about twice now. I think he did it actually against Swansea this season as well, uh, this season that we're currently in in the Championship. There are just these moments of absolute brilliance that you never expect. He's just such a cult hero for that. It's brilliant. This is why I always like to ask, what is your favourite goal and what is your favourite moment? Because often the favourite moments aren't aren't necessarily goals. Mm. Um, and, you know, for a centre-half or for a full-back even, you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to be a goal that he scored. But but one of those moments, like like the back trick, certainly certainly with uh, with Adoy. Um, just just going back a couple of couple of seasons, though, back to that 23-game unbeaten run, and there was a, a moment where... A few people started to question his quality, certainly in the, the position of centre half when we played QPR at home, and and he just made a complete balls up for their for their equaliser. We were two 0 up in that game, and ended up ended up drawing to all, and and he slipped on the you know not quite on the halfway line, but in his own half, and it just gave their guy a, a free run on goal. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. And the, the thing is about Mister Adoy is that he's always got a few flaws in his locker, you know, and and that's what makes him such a cult hero because he's not the obvious choice to be, you know, one of our favourite players. He's made a lot, and I mean a lot of bad decisions when on the pitch. Um, Some really, really bad to the point where it nearly cost us being promoted to the Premier League. But I don't know what it is. It's just something about, I think one of the best tweets I've ever read was just someone describing Dennis Adoy as, as like pretty much embodies Fulham for the reason that, you know, he's, when he's good, he's good. When he's bad, he's really bad. He's flawed, but he's passionate. He's energetic. And he's just, he's kind. From what I've seen, I don't know him personally, but he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good egg, I think. Yeah, he's, he's also one of those, one of those players. He's, he's got a lot of finesse about him. He's, he's calm on the ball. He's assured. He looks, he looks a class act at times. But then he does have those moments in him where he can, he's, he's just almost like his head explodes and he just... Like a, a Preston away this season when he when he got that red card, and I'm, I'm going to ask you this now because he's had he's had three red cards since he's been with the club that I can think of. The one at Brentford in the promotion season, obviously the one at Wembley, and then Preston. What mm. which one of those was his most ludicrous? Would you say? Well, the one at the one at Wembley, I can understand why it was because it was a second yellow so he had to have it and it was a high kick towards Grealish and yeah Grealish was being a knob in that game anyway so I kind of enjoyed it but the thing the thing is I think I think Preston might be one of the one I think Preston could be the worst one or maybe Brentford one of those of those two um because yeah he just sometimes does seem to just lose his head maybe it's due to his passion. He, he's been known as a good interceptor. I mean, if you look at his statistics on whoscored.com, he's, that's why he's, you know, pretty damn good at defending. But he's, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you really. I think if I had to make a choice, I'd say Brentford. I think Brentford was probably the most red moment he had. Hmm. And yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say the one at Wembley just because of the situation. It really did leave us in the shit and it, and it left yeah. us all with our hearts in our mouths as well because of well, the, obviously the magnitude of that game. Do you know when he went off? Apparently, he was, you know, he felt awful. Uh, but he, 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 he was watching, you know, the game from the dressing room, mm. and um, it was five seconds delayed to everything mm. that was happening. And he was just apparently in just the loneliest, the most scared place he says he's ever been. Uh, I could imagine that for sure. But I mean, what I, am I? Go on. No, I, I was going to say also. I, I remember hearing him talk about when he was sent off and he had to go and watch that in the dressing room, and I don't think there was a timer. Um, on the screen oh. that he was watching either. So he didn't have any idea how long there was left. Oh, shit. Can you imagine? I mean, it was, it was bad enough actually watching it. If there was a delay on it, like you said as well, then the big cheer that went up when um, when the final whistle went, I bet he's thinking, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think he did. I think he mentions that, actually. He didn't yeah. know what, what was going on. But, I mean, a favourite moment as well that I have of Adoy as well was that moment when he just got off on on top of the goalpost, um, uh, mm. the crossbar at the top, because it was just such a moment of, you know, I got away with it and I'm really mm. sorry and I love you all. It was just, that was a really sort of quite a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, visceral or 
cathartic moment, I thought, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that, that day at Wembley, I, I I had quite a few to drink by, before the game just to calm my nerves. And, of course. Um, obviously, when, when the final whistle went, everyone's jumping into each other's arms. And I just remember looking down and thinking, who the bloody hell sat on the crossbar? And then I, <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, Dennis, and loving it at the time. Then I woke up the next day and I thought... Dennis Adoy sat on the crossbar at the end of that game. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I thought, did that really happen? That was really weird. What um, was even funny yeah. was trying watching him try to get down was quite a hoot as well. Yeah. <laughs> the all tangled up in the net. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, mate. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you this. What, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think about Dennis Adoy? Misunderstood. <laughs> Maybe misunderstood, perhaps, because I don't know. I just think... Or just underrated, just generally underrated. I mean, Dennis Adoy, I think, you know, some people on the focus team have given Dennis Adoy a lot of stick in the past. And, you know, myself included, yourself included. But he's just been, I'll go back to this word again, transformer. Maybe I'll use the word transformer in the sense that he has just played in so many positions for us and just been so useful. You know, he covers Joe Bryan. He's been covering Joe Bryan at left back this season really effectively in a couple of games. He plays right centre back when we need him. He plays right back when we need him. He you know, and he he, he played uh, for the Belgian club before us, uh, Lockeren, I believe it is. He was a left back. Then at Aldelet before that, he was mostly a right back. I just think he's so useful. So instead of, yeah, I'm going to, long story short, I would say transformer, transformer and a damn good one. Okay. Uh, the first word that comes to mind when I think about him is charismatic, but I'm going to, I'm also going to say resilient because there's been times when it's looked like he's going to be out of the team. Uh, this season, I didn't expect him to feature much, to be honest. I thought, you know, we Cyrus Christie would play right back. And I thought um, Stephen Sessegnon would also be uh, be covering, especially after the good start that he made when we played at, at Huddersfield. I thought he, he'd be in the team. Then all of a sudden, Dennis is back in. And just, just when just when you think that he's, he's going to be out of the door, he's back in the team and he's, he's featured in most of the games this season. So resilience is going to be the word that I'm going to use. Um, let's come on to the Derby game. Then we've got we've got Derby under the lights at Pride Park on Friday night. Um, Dennis Adoy will forever go down in Fulham folklore for his header against Derby in the playoff semi-final that took us to Wembley. Talk to me about that goal and how you felt that night. I mean, the best game I've ever been at to Craven Cottage. I, I'm a, I'm a young fan. I, I mean, I haven't been supporting Fulham for very long at all. So I don't have these memories, unfortunately, of, uh, you know, the uh, the Europa League qualifier, you know, the, the Juventus, the Dempsey chip, all those amazing magical moments. But that Dennis Adoy header, along with everything else that happened around it, everyone standing up in the hammy end, which, you know, for the entire game, something you never see, um, or very rarely anyway, just, it was one of those moments, You even watching clip, you know, playbacks of it just before we did this recording, Gentleman Jim and the screams they did when he scored and everyone's reaction and the players around him. I just think it's one of the best moments. For me, I'm not just saying this to be sort of, uh, you know, I'm not just saying this to be be a maverick or anything. I I think it's actually my favourite moment uh, being a Fulham supporter, uh, more so than Wembley in some ways. Yeah, I get that. It was the the getting to obviously Wembley was a great day, but getting to Wembley was was you know not far behind it for me either. And when that when the ball skidded off his head and he he landed and he he didn't even see it go in, did he? The angle that he he connected with that ball, he was looking almost towards the cottage and landed facing the cottage. But he must have just heard that the crowd go up and it looped in and you know again I was jumping into strangers' arms, everybody swinging each other around, going mad in the Hammersmith end. It was brilliant. Yeah, and just the angle is actually something that is really to be praised for. I mean, I think Niskin's Cabano almost actually got away with that in the last game of the championship the other day. It was very similar sort of header and the angle. (laughs) Millwall, that was it, yeah. Just, I've never, just an amazing header and just that amazing sort of leap that he always practices doing uh, for such a short guy. I say short, he's five foot ten, I'm the same height. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, um, did you go on the pitch? I did. But I did it quite late. I think I said this before. I did it quite late. So I, as soon as I got on, we were all ushered off. But I, I, I still had my moment. It was nice. I was being very sort of mm. coy and uh, well well advised. You might have, I mean, we didn't even know each other then. You could have just pushed, you oh, could yeah. be the ones that pushed me out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, none, none of that going on. I, I remember saying to myself, I'm not going on the pitch because I remember Reading fans doing it the year before and then not going up and me thinking, what a bunch of lobheads. And mm. then as soon as the final whistle went, all of a sudden I was on the pitch. Don't know how I got there. <laughs> yeah. 
It could be yeah, argued just... as well that Dennis Adoy was a huge reason for us getting a bit of vengeance back to, uh, against Derby as well. Because, I mean, the whole reason that it was very sentimental, that pitch invasion, was that was what Derby did to us, I believe. Um, yeah, in the 80s, years ago. yeah, the early 80s, yeah, they ended up and that they ended up ending that match early as well, which uh, which really cost us that day, or potentially cost us. We might not, probably wouldn't have scored anyway, but you know, we didn't have the chance to. Um, mm. w- would you say that's your favorite Dennis memory then? Yeah, I was uh, a close goal. second would be the goalpost, but definitely the, the header. It's it's going to be one of those things that I mean, it won't be as glamorous as you know, Dempsey's he's going to chip it sort of moment, but. I think it definitely will be up there. It won't be as glamorous because it wasn't the Premier League. It wasn't a European final that we were off to. But for me, I think it's up there in the top five. One of the most impressive moments in our history, personally. Same. Absolutely. Same for me. Same for me. Um, All right. Well, let's um, let's come on to his career. Then I want you to rate his Fulham career out of 10 so far. I'm going to give him a nine just because I love him so much. I think he's just one of the... Again, like a big symbol for what Fulham's all about. Um, and you know what? I just, he's not perfect. I had a bit of a decision to make recently where I was going to get a, sh- a name on the shirt for the first time. And it was either going to be Stephanie Hansen or Dennis Adoy. And I just think Dennis Adoy is aged like a fine wine with our squad. And I think he's per- really, really, really classy individual. And um, I, yeah, I'm going to give him a nine, I think. I think, um, I think for me, I'm going to give Dennis going to give him a, an eight um, and probably if it hadn't have been for the goal that he scored against Derby and the uh, the crossbar moment it probably would have been a seven but those moments are obviously massive moments in in the history of the club now but I think he's a, he's a solid player he's not spectacular um, but he's solid and he's uh, like you say he almost epitomizes Fulham in, in the way that he plays I think like you say he's not perfect um, but he's a hard worker and yeah. um, and for me, yeah, it's a seven out of ten for Dennis. Yeah, and you know what? Sorry to just say one more thing. He 134 appearances for us. That's that's you know that's not a small deal. That's that's a good thing. That's a big thing. And there are players like Mitrovic who are a lot gla- you know glossier. You know, Premier League quality has scored all the goals, but I wouldn't say Mitrovic has had a Hall of Fame moment like Dennis Adoy. So that's for, again just justifying my reason for Dennis Adoy being a nine just for that amazing memory. Fair play. All right, mate, well, we're going to do something a little bit different now. Um, I have prepared some stats to have a look at how the current Fulham side compare with other successful second-tier Fulham sides in recent history. And I do consider the current side to be successful, as we are currently third in the table. Um, these are taking me absolutely bloody ages, and I'm not sure it's, um, it's really going to justify the time it's taken me, but let, let's see how it goes anyway. Um, so I've, I've looked at the, some, some data from the 2000 and 2001 Division One Championship winning side under Jean Tigana. Uh, data from the 16-17 season when Slav took us to the playoff semi-finals when we lost against Reading. And data from the 17-18 season when we were promoted with Slav at Wembley, as we've just talked about. Um, and of course, this season under Scott Parker as well. And the, the kind of idea behind it is to see how the current side compares uh, with with how these other successful sides have done. So looking at our home form, so far this season, we've had 10 home wins, which is as many as we had in the 16-17 playoff semi-final season. So we've had, we've had as many home wins this season already. We've already had um, as many defeats as well. We've had five defeats at home. We've only scored 29 games at home so far this season, though. We've got six games to go, though. The lowest return out of those four seasons that I've mentioned was in 2017-18 when we went up with Slav and we scored 40, so we're still 11 behind that. Uh, For some context, in 2000 and 2001, we scored 49 goals at home, Um, but obviously we had Saha, Boamorse, Hales all banging them in every week. Uh, Away from home this season, we've got six away wins, six draws and four defeats. We've only scored 18 goals, though. We scored 39 away from home in 17-18, 40 away from home in 16-17, and 41 in 2000-2001. So straight away, that is uh, quite a big difference. We're just not scoring enough goals away from home. Um, Although we do, again, still have seven games to go. We've only conceded 15, though. In 2017-18, we conceded 29 and we conceded 25 in 16-17 and 18 in the Tagana promotion season. 
So basically, our games away from home aren't seeing many goals at all. We're quite tight at the back, but we're also um, not very prolific going forward. Um, the goal difference is plus 11 this season, which is positive. But when compared with the other seasons, in 2000, 2001, we had plus 58 at the end of the season, which is ridiculous. In 16, 17, it was plus 28. And in 17, 18, it was plus 33. So we are wow. still quite a way behind those seasons at the moment. Mm. As I said, we've still got a few games left, but I probably can't see us in our last seven away games um, scoring 20-odd goals to, to catch no. up. No way. So there's a there's a real kind of um, imbalance there. Um, not to say that we're not going to be successful this season. We've just done it differently. And I think it just it shows that this season hasn't really been that entertaining in comparison to the other ones. No. No, not at all. And, you know, there, there are a number of reasons why I believe it's not working. Um, but to, to be honest, it's it's such a weird season, mate, because basically this Scott Parker's season, this season has been better than both of Slavisa's uh, seasons in the championship at this point. He's got more points and in a higher position. And yet we're all bored shitless. It's really strange. Well, that... that um comes nicely on to my next point, and I'm going to talk about win margins from those four seasons. Um, this season, we've won by a two-goal margin just twice. So, you know, maybe 3-1 or 2-0 or whatever. Um, we've won by a three-goal margin just twice, and we've won by a four-goal margin just the once. That was that Millwall game at the start of the season. Mm. Um, that means that we've only won five games by more than one goal so far this season. Yeah. We have won by a one-goal margin eleven times, so we are still getting the wins, as we know. Um, but we're not—we're just not putting teams to the sword. And I thought it was interesting, interesting to compare this this season to those other seasons. Um, in the 2000-2001 Tigana season, again, this this season was uh, something of an anomaly because we were an absolutely outstanding team. I go so far as to say that that Tigana season actually um, is the best team that the championship or second tier has ever seen. Mm. Those players are absolutely unbelievable. And to have them all in the same team at once, we, we just, we were un, unstoppable that season. Um, we won that season. We won by one, one goal, seven times, two goals, 15 times, three goals, six times, four goals, once and five goals, once. And the real, the real stat, stat here is the fact that we've, we've only won by one goal margin 11 times this season. Um, and two goal margin twice, but even the um, the sixteen seventeen Slav playoff semi final defeat side, um, they they won um, by a two goal margin eleven times, and then the promotion team um, through the playoffs the season after won by a two goal margin ten times, and this team's only done it twice. So you know we we really are treading on thin ice, I think, and it's it's a wonder that we don't concede more late goals to be honest and throw more points away, but. Anyway, that's that's win margins. Now, this 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 one is interesting. Where the goals come from? Um, now, this season that we've been very light on goals, with just nine goals from midfield. Tom Kearney's got seven of those, most of which have come from distance. Yeah. Um, Bobby Reid got one of them when he was playing in midfield, and Josh Onomar got that one against against Leeds. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, where are the goals coming from in midfield? It's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Um, Stefan Johansson used to get in the box loads in the um, in the Slav promotion season and the season before that. Um, he got eight when we went up last time. He, he barely gets a sniff this season. I, I don't know why that is. Obviously, he's not in the team every week, but when he is in the team, he's never in or around the box looking to you know pick up breadcrumbs and stick the ball in the net. Well, the thing is, while Josh Onoma is Scott Parker's favourite prodigal son, then I'm afraid Stephanie Hansen pretty won't get many sniffs, I'm afraid. It's it's what you say is true. And it's just, we don't, you watch the goals that we sort of scored under the Slavisa Jokanovic in the promotion season. I know we should stop comparing this, but the amount of bodies in the box, midfielders and, you know, four four of us, four of our players in the box every time a cross goes in. You just don't see that anymore. You don't see it at all. And I think Stefan Johansson is hopefully something we'll actually see in the Derby game this Friday. Even if he is in the team, though, I feel like the fact that you've got Cavalero and Knockart trying to do everything down the wings, it often bypasses a lot of what we're trying to do in the middle. And players mm-hmm. like Johansson and even Kearney, to a certain extent, 
um, just just don't get on the ball enough because you've got these you know these players just who think that they need to do everything. Well, it's funny you say, you know, they're doing everything on the wings. For the past about three or four games in my mind now, I just feel like we haven't had any wingers. It feels like we've always got nine players on the pitch because they're always trying to do so many things, but we have no fullbacks overlapping. So it's just, you, you've got fullbacks that don't really want to bomb forward, apart from Joe Bryan, who's like the Philippe Senderos of fullbacks. He does what he wants. You know, he's some, if he goes forward, he doesn't really need to go back. He's just somehow, you know, just doesn't mind. But I mean, just, there is just no overlapping of fullbacks and the wingers cut in so it just makes absolutely us look so blunt it's unbelievable mm. and it's just so frustrating to watch and boring I, I think that's a good word to describe the season so far we've, we've been all right but we do we do look a bit blunt you're right um in in 2016-17 we scored 34 goals from midfield that season this season we've scored nine it's just absolutely crazy Thanks, um man. So talking about uh, Joe Bryan and, and defenders as well, Bryan scored five goals in 43 games for Bristol City the season before he joined us from a similar position to the one he now plays in. He gets forward and is involved in a lot of attacks. He just doesn't score enough goals for me for the amount he gets forward. It, do you think he's effective enough going forwards? And by effective, I mean, does he does he contribute enough? He's always there or thereabouts and he, he's got a few assists, but would you like to see some more goals from him? I'd like to see some more goals from him for sure. I mean, before that last piece of crap game we had against Barnsley, I think he got three three assists in three games. Um, but we're not seeing enough of it. And, you know, when he does bomb on forward, am I impressed all the time? Not really. I'd say every time Joe Bryan does go forward, I think he looks pretty good about maybe six times out of ten, maybe five. He wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was moved back from the winger position by Lee Johnson many years ago because he failed to take men on very successfully and they moved to left back but even Bristol players uh, sorry even Bristol fans are now saying that you know Joe Bryan's more of a wing back than a full back so and we haven't really played Joe Bryan in that position because we haven't done five at the back enough as a sort of plan a it's always been something that we do at the last minute to hold on to a game rather than go forward true that's very true yeah it's not the traditional kind of wing backs when we've got five at the back is it it's like Mm. it's just try and shut up shop um, to come on to a, another fullback that we once had, Steve Finnan was the perfect example of balancing attack and defence back in the 2000-2001 Tigana season. He only got two goals himself that season. He was absolutely superb and a, a real anomaly at, at this level. And he, of course, he went on to win the Champions League with Liverpool later on in his career as well. And, um, you know, we can't expect those sort of players to come around and be in our team, you know, every couple of seasons. But in 16-17, Scott Malone scored six goals in 36 games from a similar position to the one Joe Bryan plays in. He, he used to get forward a lot. Of course, um, he's now at Derby, but this that season was his most prolific season in front of goal. And mm-hmm. that contributed that season to the fact that our defenders scored 12 of our goals that season. We've got one goal from defence this season, Joe Bryan against Wigan. Why yeah. aren't our defenders scoring more goals? And obviously from, from corners... We're crap at set pieces. Why are we so bad at set pieces? That's the sort of thing you can practice. And I know defenders can practice that sort of thing as well and getting in the right position. But surely with the height that we've now got with Michael Hector, a decent delivery in the box has to be a threat. Reem and Mawson have been no threat whatsoever this season from corners. They haven't never looked like scoring. Um, as I said, Hector's height is an advantage. Um, and set piece goals would take, take a lot of pressure off of the forwards. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. I think. I think we will see a header, you know, a headed goal from Hector this season. He he is actually moving forward and wanting to get into that box from open play, not just for set pieces, which is good to see. And you know, the less said about Alfie Morrison, the better, in my eye. I mean, you know, just no, can't can't be asked. (laughs) If if we could score from the odd set piece every now and then, then it would make up for the fact that a lot of the play that we, you know, we Mm. play is is pretty turgid. Um, and and dull because yeah. we beat teams by not allowing them to have the ball rather than battering teams off of the park, and that's that's you know the the win margins stats that I just gave you a minute ago is proves that. Well, that's why we always have short corners, and it's just the most. I mean, again, the most. I'll say the word again: boring thing to watch. Mm. I think we've. I mean, the amount of corners we've taken that have ended that have gone short and ended back to the goalkeeper. I mean, it's just like you just want to scream. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's, it is frustrating. Yeah, um, I'm, I'll just give you this stat as well. So um, this is the total number of players that have scored for Fulham by season in those four seasons. So in 2000, 2001, 
13 players scored for Fulham. In 2016-17, 16 players scored for Fulham. In 2017-18, 15 players scored for Fulham. This season, just eight players have scored for us. Five of them have been, you know, playing forward. And then, as I said, um, and, you know, Kearney and Onoma and Bobby Reed are the only players who have scored from, from midfield. Uh, and obviously, Joe Bryan as well from defence. The rest have been forwards. Eight players is, is really poor. That is very low. Um, to conclude uh, these stats... Uh, they highlight that we're too reliant on the forwards to get the goals. Our past successful teams have spread the goals out throughout the team. Joe Bryan should be scoring more goals considering how often he gets forward and, and actually how often he shoots as well. He has the odd shot every now and then. Um, we don't score enough goals and we seem happy to settle for narrow wins. Why was that Millwall game so early on in the season such an anomaly and not a trendsetter? Why haven't we kicked on from that and really gone on to batter some teams? I don't understand it. Um, in the past seasons, we've happily put teams to the sword or at least comfortably won. Um, mm. Our set pieces are ineffective. What else is new? They have been for quite a long time now. They often were in the Premier League as well. But in this squad, all the elements are there to really, really score a lot of goals. But something's holding us back, which hasn't been there in previous seasons, according to the statistics. Well, Scott Parker. I was just about to say, is it simply an experienced manager or is it that the players bought for Scott by Tony clash with the style that Scott's trying to play? For example, as I said, Cavalero and Knockart are selfish players in comparison to the likes of Ryan Sessegnon. And I wonder to myself, would we have been better off this season had Sess decided to stay? And I feel like he would have been a better fit to play alongside Mitro than the likes of Knockart because he gets in scoring positions and allows the midfielders to be the creative influence rather than trying to do it all himself. I, I know you were obviously a big fan of Cesc. What do you think? Would we have been better with him this season? I think, yeah, 100% we'd be better with him. I mean, this is more his more his level for uh, the age that he's at. He's not really getting much of a sniff at Tottenham at the moment, but he is under Jose Mourinho, so he will, obviously, he's getting world-class sort of mentorship, as it were. But I think, yeah, Cesc and I'm staying would have been great, not just for... Uh, the skill that he provides, the relationship he has with Mitrovic, but also just the camaraderie and knowing the club very well. Um, you know, I think that's priceless. And I think him and Joe Bryan could have linked up beautifully, actually. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I just, I feel like him, the, the positions that he took up in the box just lent himself to getting on the end of things and allowing midfielders to come into the game more rather than, you know, just watching mm. Cavalero knock out, run it from box to box and, have a yeah. shot and see where it ends up and see if Mitrovic can can stick his leg out and get on the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Sess was the smartest player, you know, one of the smartest players we had that season and he yeah. was so young. He, he was just such a clever player. I mean, much smarter in my opinion than Cavalera. I think Cavalera's more technically gifted because he's older yeah. and got that edge to him, but Sessegnon was smart in the right place at the right time. Acted like a striker but was a left back winger. In- incredible. And you know, we do miss him 100%. You're an idiot if anyone's an idiot if they said they didn't. Yeah, of course, of course, he was he was top class, really, really good player. All right, mate. Well, thanks for uh, sticking with that. I, I wanted to uh, wanted to have a look at some stats and just see how we did uh, fare up to previous seasons. But let's get yeah. on with the derby preview now. Fulham. All right, mate. It's another Friday night match. Do you like a Friday night match? Well, I've, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think Sky do for us definitely. <laughs> like we've we've oh, had yeah, so, yeah it's, it's been nothing but Friday night games. But no, I think Friday night games are brilliant. You know, some of our best memories in for Fulham have come under the lights on a Friday night, and let long may them rain. But I'm not sure about the match, to be honest with you. Um, even though Derby are having an up and down season, I do fear for us this game. Well. On Friday nights this season, we've played six times so far. Um, we've won all three of our home games against Wigan, QPR and Middlesbrough. And we're undefeated away as well. We've won two at Huddersfield and Swansea. And then we drew at Cardiff that night when Harry Arthur was a prick. But doesn't, <laughs> it. doesn't really narrow it down. But the night when he got sent off, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. So our record on Friday nights is pretty good. So with a little bit of luck, we'll carry that on to, to Pride Park this weekend. But in order to do that, it's going to take Marit Rodak to come out of this um, this horrible little spell that he had on Saturday. He had an absolute stinker. Um, and I think this is where we'll we'll see his strength of character. Do you think he'll bounce back? Because at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we're all capable of making mistakes. And sometimes we all get it wrong. I do, I do think he 
very likely will bounce back. My only concern is, the only worrying thing is that all three girls, well, that sounded like I said girls, not all girls, all three goals, <laughs> all three goals were his fault. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, all three, and huge errors. And, you know, he just looked like Jordan Archer out there that game. So I'm just, I am a bit concerned. Hopefully he his mentality I think he is strong enough to come back from this. You've seen what he's like when, you know, he concedes a goal in the past and he gets furious with his, his back line and himself, yeah. his passion is there. I think he'll, yeah, I think he'll come through for this one. I think we'll have a big performance from him this week and he'll just have to draw a line under that performance. But the good thing is that it was three mistakes all made in one game and it's the, it's just, it's the same three points. Whereas if he made those three mistakes in three consecutive games and cost us three, three games, and nine points, then it would be a worry. But if hopefully he's got it out of his system exactly. um, and he can carry on with having a magnificent season that, that he is having. Um, after that abysmal result on Saturday, I think this this match is also going to show what character this team has, as well as just Marit Rodak individually. Um, we've bounced back from awful results in the past this season. For example, we faced Leeds at home off the back of three defeats in a row. And we got the, got the points that afternoon just before Christmas. We also bounced back from a 3-0 defeat at home to Hull by winning at Birmingham the following week. Um, I feel like this team doesn't get the credit it deserves sometimes, and Scott Parker particularly carries the can when we lose, but gets no praise during our our unbeaten mini-runs, if you like. What what do Mm. you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right, and I'm guilty of this. This is the first season where I've been probably a nightmare to all of you on the WhatsApp group because I can't make up my flipping mind all the time. I'm Parker (laughs) in, Parker out. But the thing is... There's a lot of snobbery in our fan base now after the amazing season we had in 17-18. We've never seen football played like it. Well, I mean, you mentioned Tigana. We obviously had uh, Tigana as well. But, you know, we, we were really spoiled by what Slavisa Jakanovic brought us. So when Parker comes in and plays a similar style to begin with, we all expect the same thing. And it's just not. He's far more pragmatic. And there's an, argue, it's an arguable case that actually his his style is just as entertaining as Chris Hewton, which a lot of people are saying wasn't entertaining at all. So I just think there's, there's a lot of snobbery, but there's also a lot of bias towards Scott Parker. A lot of people believe he's a jinx. A lot of people believe that, you know, he... he, he, he every time he's been with us, we've had bad results or bad, bad luck with this club. I, I just think... I don't think it is fair, in all honesty, but I understand why it's occurring because it is just very painful in the eye to watch. I mean, the analogy I always make is just, you know, Tony Khan and his dad bought a Ferrari uh, of a squad for the, for this season to go up straight away. And it's like we gave it to Matt LeBlanc from Top Gear to drive it. Just, you know, and I just, <laughs> I, it just doesn't really feel, I, I think, you know, and everyone always says, oh, Scott Parker, he's going to be a great manager. Though. He's going to be a great manager. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm sure he will, but I'd like it when he's with us, you know, and I, I've, yeah. I don't, I don't think we're going to see, I, I don't know. I, I, there's, there's a part of me that really wants him to stay another season and prove everyone wrong and be like what the Norwich manager was that got them promoted the second season he was there. Yeah, one of the things you know about me, mate, is that I, I get quite frustrated with all the talk of uh, Parker being sacked every time we, we lose a single game. And as, as I said earlier, he gets no praise when we win. Um, on this very show this season, me, you, all the other lads, Will, Matt Dom, Baldo, Don etc etc consistently rate Scott Parker generally between a seven and a nine most weeks unless like we we do have a crap week like we did last week when you guys gave him two 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 and a half which was perfectly justified because that was a a terrible result um but generally the scores are quite high um so with this in mind why is the word sack even being mentioned because of the expectation because of how we have this belief that we belong in the Premier League, which we, I mean, we do because of the money we've spent. I mean, I guess, I mean, <laughs> I mean you know, it's it's because it's the Ferrari analogy that I made. It's just the fact that we expected this team to be blowing teams out of the water uh, in this league. And I, I think, you know, maybe we're wrong. It, it's either one or two things. It's either that Scott Parker um, is actually doing a very good job and the players actually just aren't as good as we thought they are, or, Scott Parry is completely the wrong guy for this and we should be winning the five nils, the eight nils, the three nils that you've been alluding to that are, should be counterpart to the stats that you've just allude, mentioned before. That's but, the thing though, that, that Millwall game, what did we have? So 80 odd percent possession and mm. beat Millwall 4-0. We barely gave him the ball and we scored plenty of goals. Why haven't we been doing that more? I just don't get it because it's obviously within these players to, to do that. Yeah. But, 
you know, if, if you if you and I could answer that question, then you know, we we'd be working in in football. But I know what Scott Parker wants. I can see what he wants. You can see him on the side of the pitch. He wants everything quicker. He wants transitions quicker, but we just don't give it to him. We don't give him those quick transitions. I think personally, something we might have gone a bit, possibly, I'm just, this is the only thing I can think of to be on his side slightly, that we gave him the wrong assistant manager. Stuart Gray's fine, but that Briggs fellow, or whoever his name is from the Tottenham uh, coaching thing, as, as, as good reputation as he might have, might have been the wrong choice to be alongside Scott Parker. You can't have two out of three managers, you know, assistant managers being that inexperienced in the game, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe. All right. Well, we'll have to, uh, in, in a two, three months time, we'll, uh, we'll know more. We'll know, we'll know where the land lies and, you know, mm. whether, whether or not we're, uh, we're looking like we're going to be heading back to the Premier League or not. And I think that will go a long way to determine Scott Parker's future at the club. Let's look at Stato's stats, shall we? Um, yes. You've listened to me prattle on about numbers and stats, so I'm going to hand over to you for this one. Yep, no worries at all. Yeah, Stato's done a great job, actually. We're, you know, we're talking about... You always know, the does. season. always yeah, does. He always does. He's great, great lad, great lad. Um, but, you know, Derby have had a weird season, very topsy-turvy. And, you know, they've got an amazing manager, uh, uh, Philip Koku who is the type of manager that we should have really been crying out for. Very Slavica, Jakanovic ass in that sort of, you know, that sort of Dutch style of play. Just really, really good manager who believes in the passing game, possession, football, and just, you know, very nice to watch and easy on the eye. But since I'm just looking at their stats, they've had a really weird time of it. They're currently sitting in 13 from 44 points, and that's eight points away from the playoffs. And that's a pretty underwhelming season. It's, overshadowed by obvious off-the-field incidents, which we won't go into too much. You know, they they lost Frank Lampard after the summer after narrowly missing out on the promotion in the playoff final. And then they've now replaced it with good old Koku himself. But they got off to a rocky start, winning just two of their first 10 opening games. Just their form hasn't been very good. But yeah, so when Wayne Rooney arrived, he was instantly named club captain. And then since then, the Derby form has dramatically improved. At the age of 34, Rooney now plays in a deeper midfield playmaker role, you know, but despite his age, he has played 90 minutes in all but one game that he's played in. Always evergreen and always keen just to play football. But before he joined, Derby had played 25 games, won seven, drawn nine, lost nine, and that's a win percentage of just 28%. And now since he's come in, they've played eight games, won four, drawn two, and lost two, and that's a win percentage of 50%. So that there has been a big, a big change there. I mean, and he is a key player for them, like I said. He's had two goals and two assists in eight games, averaging 1.1 key passes per game and 1.9 shots per game. And he's especially dangerous from set pieces, something we're actually a bit shit at conceding. So, I mean, every now and then. So we'll see how we get on there. You know, the last time out, I mean, what did we beat? We won 3-0 at the Cottage back in November. That was it. That was a great game, actually. I remember that's one of the best performances we've had this season. I think personally, um, this is the last time Fulham actually won a game by more than one goal. So it's actually very interesting to be playing them again when we've been talking about how we're so devoid and blunt at the moment. But, you know, it was a typical performance from Fulham. It was 62% possession that game, 678 passes, of which 596 of them are short passes. And, uh, you know, Derby failed to register a single shot on target against us. And, you know, it's it's their home form that's significantly better than their away form. And that's why I'm worried about this game. I mean, they've only lost two home games all season. That's, you know, that's massive. You know, they've won five out of six home games, only drawing against Huddersfield in their most recent game. And they've kept seven clean sheets in 14 home games, only conceding 12 goals. And they have only scored 1.4 goals per game, which is lower than the league average of 1.43. So, it, it, it's it's going to be a funny one. It's going to be a really funny one. And as what you were talking about earlier with you know us bouncing back from this, you know Merritt Rodak, the team, uh, it's our bounce back ability that Statos pointed out, which is really interesting. Read, you know, we have now lost nine games this season, and it's just interesting to see how we've reacted after losing a game. So our first loss, which was Barnsley away, which is the fucking first game of the season, we responded by going on a free game winning run. So that's cool. Uh, the second loss was Nottingham Forest at home, and we responded by that going on a six-game unbeaten run. That was four draws and two wins. The third loss was Stoke away, and we responded by winning our next game against Luton. But then we drew nil-nil with Borough before that. Our fourth loss was just Hull at home. We responded by winning four in a row. And then fifth, sixth, and seventh losses, and then we went three on the bounce against Bristol, Preston, and Brentford. So basically what I'm trying to say is, and what Stato obviously is trying to say, that when we lose a game, 
a big, big loss, an unexpected loss, we do respond uh, with a got you know two or three game spurts. So it, there is every reason to be positive, but at the same time, by judging, if you actually watch how we performed against Barnsley, there are lots of reasons to be fucking shitting ourselves as well. To be honest, so I, I'm, I, I'm think, I think that defeat last weekend will be a massive kick up the ass to this team. Yeah, um, they'll be embarrassed and they'll be hurting after losing that game. Bottom of the league when we're you know we're level on points with second, we're right there on, mm-hmm. on the brink of you know catching leads, and then to do that against a team um, bottom of the league uh, in the way that we did it, I, th- I think there has to be a reaction this weekend. There has to be. Yeah, and it just I mean Stato was mentioned here as well. I mean this could actually be the biggest psychological test we face just because of you know. It's Derby, it's the bottom of the table, and it's 3-0, and it's the second time we've lost to them. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a big one. And the attack that we actually put out against Derby in the last game, one of our best performances of the season was Cavalero, Mitrovic, and Kamara. And that was with Bobby playing as a number 10 behind Mitro, which I think is actually his best position. The Bristol City fans will certainly tell you that. So, I mean, maybe that's our best attack to face for this game, but I would also like to see Stefan Johansson for sure make a return down the, in the middle somewhere. It's Bobby Reed just flatters to deceive for me sometimes. He mm. um, he's, he's threatened to be a good player this season, but it's just not really happened for him so far. And I've, I just bit, I feel like he's he's a bit lightweight and he's he's knocked off the ball too easily. And if he's not running in behind players, then I don't really see what he does. If I'm honest, mm. he doesn't well, score that's... enough goals. That's for sure. Well, I just don't think we've played him in his best position. I mean, I just think he—I think he's, he's played in. 10. He's played in played in every position, but in goal, hasn't he this season? <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> much. But I just, as a winger, I don't really buy it. He connects everything up quite nicely, but and, and as a striker, he's just—he's just not accurate enough and just no confidence enough in my in my opinion. But I just think as a number ten, as a sort of Tom Kearney role. Just basically, Bobby Reed was a luxury player. I think that we should, it was a bit of an Andre Schuller, except he's a, a lot better in the sense Thing that is, we're we're used to watching Tom Kearney at this level. Um, you know, when we came up seventeen, eighteen, Tom Kearney in the attacking midfield role was outstanding. He was brilliant. Bobby Reed in that role isn't Tom Kearney of two years ago. Tom Kearney arguably isn't Tom Kearney of two years ago either. But that's, you know, we know what we're looking for. We know what we want to see in that position. Ryan mm. Sessegnon, another player who could either play out wide or up front. And Bobby Reed isn't fit to lace Sessegnon's boots at this level either because Sessegnon was absolutely outstanding. And he just, that, that's, what, that's what we're kind of used to seeing at this level. We're used to seeing the way that Sessegnon played and the way Kearney played two years ago. And we're not getting that this season. And it's only natural to compare um, the likes of Bobby Reed to to that that season and how how we look that season. It's just it's nowhere near it. Yeah, I, I could I couldn't couldn't agree more. And I I don't know what's going to happen with Tom Kearney next season. I don't personally think he's going to stay with us. Um, I just I, I think there's something wrong there. I just I can't see how he'd leave though. He's he's on a long term yeah. contract and he hasn't been playing well. So who's going to pay to break that contract? I don't know. Unless Maybe he left prom- on loan. I-, I think the only way Tom Kearney would leave would be for a team that has just been promoted and or a team that has just come down and think looks at his stats in the past and as a sort of Russ McCormacky sort of option. That, oh, he can do a job at this level to make us come back up again. But if the rumours are to be believed that financial fair play could really screw us up next season, then we would need Tom Kearney off the wage bill slightly, especially if he's not playing to the standard that he used to. I just think it might be curtains for him soon. It's sad to say, but I think it might be. I hope you're wrong, but the way he's playing this season, I've, I've got to say, I've, I've loved him in the past, but I wouldn't miss him the way he's playing at the moment. I wouldn't. Yeah, me too. It's very sad to say, isn't it? <laughs> it's very sad. Speaking of somebody I don't miss, I see Chris Martin still playing up front for Derby. He's got seven goals this season and three assists. Is it seven goals he's got? Yeah. That, that's quite a lot for him. I mean, um, I mean when, I was, when I was putting those stats together the other day, I was really surprised to see he, he scored 10 goals for us in 16-17. I didn't realise. Mm. Well, I mean, who else have they got? They've got Martin Waghorn as well. I mean, he scored, he's got 11 goals and one assist. That's mm-hmm. actually that's pretty good as well. I, I I don't know. I just don't. I I could not call where it's going to go this game. It just I don't know whether what sort of fr- front foot back foot what sort of foot Parker will want for it. I mean I know what we want front foot and just go all out guns blazing. But I just well, you're really... you're going to have to call it. You're going to have to call it because let's do a score prediction. 
I th- I'm really sorry. I I think I think they're gonna win two one. <laughs> really, really sorry. I hope you're wrong. I mean, last time we went out there, last time we went up there was the playoff semi final, and they beat us one nil somehow. I don't know quite how they beat us one nil, and obviously we turned them over in the second leg. But that game was a really frustrating game, and it will it will go down as the the game where we had all those corners and just kept on taking short corners, just thinking get the bloody ball into the box. But we obviously went there with the game plan, but it was so frustrating to watch. Am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to say? predict we're going to lose? I don't think anyone's done that before and I'm, I'm just worried that I look like a dick now. Well, you have. You've done it. You're allowed to say what you want. It's your score prediction. Well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just worried. I know, you know, I'm always worried. <laughs> but if, if, we, if we did lose this, there's every chance we could actually be seventh place and out of the playoffs and then psychologically things could just get worse and more slippery for us. But who knows? We could absolutely smash them. Here's hoping. I, I think we'll win this one. I think we'll bounce back. I, I think I usually predict a win. I can't remember ever predicting anything but a win, but I think um, I think a two nil, uh, big performance from Rodak in goal, couple of cracking saves to to win us the points, and then um, it will be our first uh, victory by more than one goal since uh, last time we played them. I really, th- I really think I've, I feel confident. Uh, I always feel confident. And I don't know why. It's based on it's based on nothing um, <laughs> other than just blind optimism. But anyway, I'm going to say two nil. All right, nice one, nice one. All right, mate. Well, I think we'll leave it there, shall we? Thanks to everybody for listening to us this week. Um, the plan at the moment is for Jay Mack and I, and hopefully Will, to record a Derby reaction show on Saturday, which will hopefully land in your podcast apps on Sunday morning. Either way, it should be with you for your Monday morning commute. Safe travels to everyone heading up on Friday night, and don't forget to bring the points home with you. Speak to you soon. Cheers.